Hi, welcome to this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and in this episode, we continue our journey into the visualized American government, the 1964 edition. In this episode, we cover three topics of interest. Number one, multiplying difficulties during the critical period. Number two, economic distress accompanying political instability. And finally, effects of a state regulation of commerce. So let's dive in and have a listen to what they have to say. Multiplying difficulties during the critical period. The defects of the Articles of Confederation invited trouble with foreign nations and friction among the states. The United States was unable to persuade Great Britain to yield possession of the forts and trading posts in the Northwest Territory, in accordance with the provisions of the Treaty of 1783, and it failed to induce Spain to keep the mouth of the Mississippi open to American shipping. Nor was Congress any more successful in its attempts to secure harmony among the several states. Boundary disputes between New York and New Hampshire, tariff wars between Massachusetts and Connecticut, and between New Jersey and New York, and quarrels over the control of navigable waters between Virginia and Maryland threatened to disrupt the Union. British propaganda kept the Indians of the Northwest in ferment. Spanish intrigue sought to detach the Southwest from the Union. Local disorders had to be suppressed by state authorities while Congress stood by, unable to take any effective action. Economic Distress Accompanying Political Instability The United States, after 1783, was beset by problems of reconstruction, which grew out of the long war with Great Britain, and the disruption of long-established business connections with the mother country. Economic difficulties were aggravated by political instability and anxiety over the nation's future. There were complaints about the ever-increasing burden of taxation, a burden which fell most heavily upon the poorer landowners. Meetings were held to discuss grievance, forceful resistance to tax collectors, and to sheriffs attempting to foreclose on farms and dwellings surrounded an ominous warning of civil strife. As conditions became worse, ex-soldiers, debt-burdened farmers, unemployed mechanics, and newly arrived immigrants begun to swell the stream of immigration across the Alleghenies. That the situation was not more serious was due largely to the fact that America at the time was 90% agricultural and that many of the farms were largely self-sufficient. 
Yielding to popular clamor for monetary relief, the legislators of a number of states enacted mortgage moratorium laws or authorized the issue of paper money. As was inevitable, depreciation of the unsecured paper currency set in, resulting in sharply rising prices. In Rhode Island, where cheap money schemes were of the most radical type, the legislator enacted a forcing act which provided for heavily penalties in case any person refused to accept the state's bill or hindered its circulation. With all the calamities, the merchants and artisans closed their shops rather than accept paper currency. Thereupon, the farmers refused to bring their produce to market. For a time, nearly all trade within the state was limited to barter. Farmer produce rotted while hungry mobs rioted in the streets of Newport and other Rhode Island towns. In Massachusetts, the refusal of the legislator to approve and issue the paper money caused an increase in popular discontent, which finally culminated in a rebellion. of state regulation of commerce. Interstate and foreign trade, which was already significantly handicapped by the poor conditions of the roads, by the inadequacy and lack of uniformity of the currency, and by the restrictive policies of foreign governments, was further impeded by tariff wars between the states. It is sometimes hard for 20th century Americans to realize that Americans of the 1783 considered themselves citizens of Virginia or of New York or of Massachusetts rather than citizens of the United States and that they saw nothing unreasonable in laying tariffs on goods coming from a neighboring state. They were constantly tinkering with their tariff laws. Between 1780 and 1789, Pennsylvania enacted 15 tariff measures, Virginia 12, Massachusetts, New York, and Maryland 7 each, Connecticut 6, and the other states lesser numbers. In the South, the tariff was largely a means of raising revenue. But in the middle states and New England, it was used to protect native industries and as a weapon of retaliation. Several states, which because of poor harbor facilities, were forced to rely upon more fortunate neighbors for their imports, suffered severely from the latter's selfish policy. Even more injurious were the effects of the lack of harmony among the states in regard to foreign commerce. Congress had not the power to levy a national tariff, while the states, because of conflicting interest, could not agree on which imports to admit free and which to tax. At a time when the American exporter 
was discriminated against at every turn by British restrictions and subjected to heavy duties on those commodities he was permitted to send to British ports, the English exporter enjoyed virtually free trade on this side of the Atlantic, in which not unusual for states to engage in brisk competition in reducing tariffs on the foreign goods as a means of attracting trade. And that wraps it up for another Free Circle Freedoms episode. I hope you liked. If so, please share, like, and subscribe to our podcast. Comment, leave us a message. And make sure you join next week when we cover Washington's views on the political crisis, attempts to make the articles workable, and preliminaries of the Constitutional Convention. Thank you for joining Free Circle Freedoms. Ed Waters out. Thank you.